You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. Well, today we are going to start a holiday series that I have entitled, A Light Has Dawned. And that title seems pretty timely to me because of how dark life in general and the holidays in particular can feel to so many people. I would argue that we could all use a little light. You know, a survey by the American Psychological Association found that 38% of people report their stress level increases during the holiday season. I would argue that number is way too low. (laughs) Like this is just anecdotal, I understand that, but just quick show of hands, how many of you would say that there is something about the holiday season that you do find additionally stressful to the rest of life? The vast majority of us, there's something about this time of year that can be very, very stressful. For me, I still don't have Christmas gifts for my wife. So if you could be praying toward that, I'm working on, I've got a couple. I had one from Etsy. I got an email from them. The company just closed the day after I ordered it. So that won't be coming. So thank you. But additionally, the National Alliance on Mental Illness found that 64% of people who live with existing mental illness report that their conditions worsen during the holidays. And so I would argue that even in the best of conditions, what is meant to be a celebration of God's rescue of this world for so many people has become this frantic few weeks of stress, relational tension and conflict, and obvious consumerism. And so my guess is because of this, we could all use a little bit of light. And so I've got a real simple goal for these next few weeks. It's just to remind you of why Christmas can be a season that invites immense hope. See, we are often so busy with what Christmas has become that we have forgotten what it truly is. And I would argue that that's all because we lose sight of the story. Now, to truly appreciate the story of Christmas, we have to start actually long before the nativity scene that we tend to picture when we think of Christmas. We have to start before that otherwise normal night in the nothing town when God's people had been anticipating the coming Messiah for hundreds of years. And even that seems pretty fitting because Christmas is bound up with so much anticipation. And we lose some of that as we become adults, but I want you to just take a minute and remember what it was like being a kid leading up to Christmas morning. As an adult, you may not feel it with as much weight, but do you remember the anticipation of opening gifts as a kid? Like it dominated the entire month of December. Now, Tammy is different than than my mom was. Tammy, my wife, wraps all of our presents And then she hides them in different places throughout the house. So our kids never see them until Christmas morning. My mom was the exact opposite. My mom would wrap as she got gifts and put them under the tree. And so throughout the month, this stack of presents would grow. And with that pile would grow our anticipation. And it was just torture. Because even worse, my mom always threatened what she called her you shake it, I take it rule. So... So we could not even shake the boxes to guess what was in them, or we were like terrified. She never actually did, because she would be a monster. But we were, as kids, very afraid she was going to take all of our gifts. So we were just left with this incurable sense of anticipation. Now, to a far greater degree, 
Even though nobody knew it at the time, the night that Jesus was born was the gift that the people of God had been anticipating for longer than they could even remember. And so we're actually going to start this story this year that we'll take the next four weeks to unpack. We're going to start it roughly 400 years prior to that night. And we're going to start with a promise that God made to his people through the prophet Isaiah. So if you have a Bible with you this morning or an app you like to read on, open up to Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at the first seven verses. And if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, the verses will be up on the screen. But we're going to call this first installment of this series, The Anticipation of Restoration. And while you're turning there, I want to set this up a little bit because this story starts against the backdrop of a season of immense darkness. And so we have to start with a little bit of history, which I know not everyone appreciates, so I'll try to be as not boring as possible. But all of this takes place in the year 735 BC. And at this time, if you don't know Israel's history, the kingdom of Israel was actually divided into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom that was still called Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Judah. And a man named Ahaz had just begun his reign of Judah, and I got to tell you, it was a very difficult time to be king. See, Assyria was the political and military power of the day, and as such, Assyria was a threat to everyone. And because the northern kingdom of Israel joined forces with Syria to attack Assyria, they started recruiting Ahaz and recruiting Judah to join their cause. But Ahaz refused. And when Ahaz refused to join their cause, these two kingdoms of Israel and Syria turned on Ahaz and Judah, and they threatened to attack them instead. And so you can imagine that Ahaz was understandably afraid. He was a new king, and now he was under attack from what had to have felt like all sides. And if you read Isaiah 7, you'd see that God, in his kindness, sent the prophet Isaiah to comfort and to encourage Ahab, Ahaz in the midst of all of this. And Isaiah tells him not to be afraid because this impending attack, it isn't even going to happen. But unfortunately, Ahaz makes a crucial mistake. He refuses to trust what God says to him through Isaiah. And instead, he took it upon himself to pay Assyria with gold from God's own temple to protect them, like they were the mafia set up to protect them in the midst of all of this. But this backfired because when the Assyrians were done completely wiping out Israel and Syria, they turned their sights on Judah. And the very person they had paid to protect them attacked them and conquered them. And so all of that is the backdrop of Isaiah 9 where we find ourselves today. And God speaks this hopeful promise into the midst of a season of physical distress and spiritual darkness. God's people had stopped trusting him and worshiping him. Instead, they had put their faith in politics, in earthly leaders, in money, and in false gods to devastating results. And that should sound pretty familiar to us because it's really not that different than our own culture. How many of us are guilty of putting our trust in money, in our own ability to provide ourselves with financial security? How many of us are guilty of putting our faith in some political leader in order to fix everything? Some of us already have our sights set on this next election as, as if whatever next crazy person ends up in the White House is going to be able to put right everything that's wrong in our culture. How many of us are guilty of putting our faith in functional saviors like relationship or sex or power, comfort? But as a result, 
of that decision, many of us find ourselves in a similar season of spiritual darkness. And it was into this season of darkness and into ours that God gives a glimmer of hope. So look with me at Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1, and it starts like this. It says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. Now, just imagine just that one verse, what good news this would have been in light of Judah's circumstances. They were suffering physically under the oppressive rule of Assyria because they had not trusted God to protect them. But they were also suffering spiritually because they'd rejected God as their God. And instead, they chose to give their attention, to give their allegiance to false gods. And into this darkness comes a glimmer of hope rooted in the contrast between what was and what would be. So already in verse 1, God is casting vision for their future. He tells them that a day is coming when there will be no more gloom, no more distress, and no more darkness. Their own sin, the sinful nature of the world, had brought them into a season of distress, but God was promising to bring them out. And I can't help but wonder this morning if maybe some of us need this hope too. Because maybe some of us are suffering because of the consequences of sin. Maybe it feels like your life is a mess right now, like you're stumbling around in the dark, living with the wounds or the scars of either your sin or the sin of another against you. And I would say that if any of that resonates with you, then you too should hear God calling out to you this morning saying, there's hope. God is in the business of bringing light into the darkest situations. And so into their darkness and into ours, God promises the light of joy. Look with me at verse two. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. Now, pause there for a second because there's something that's kind of amazing to pay attention to in these two verses. Notice that Isaiah writes about future events in the past tense. So notice when, when he's describing, what he's describing could not have been different from their present experience. But Isaiah is so certain of God's promise that he can write about it as if it's already happened. And so in verse 2, he starts with a promise of what will happen. He says, light will shine into their spiritual darkness. He literally says, a light has dawned. Now, light is a very common metaphor for God's presence in Scripture. For instance, in 1 John 1, verse 5, we read, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so God is promising <clears throat> to bring his own presence into their dark experience. And Isaiah continues in verse 3 with a promise of what the result of God's promise would be. He says, you have enlarged their nation and increased its joy. Now, considering their current state, considering what their experience was, that's a massive promise. God is promising that where there once was darkness, he would bring light 
and the light of joy, specifically, and gladness. And the rest of what Isaiah writes in these verses explains three specific reasons that Jesus, their Messiah and ours, who was to come and who has now come, invites us to experience joy even now. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. Here's the first one. Number one, Jesus will deliver us from spiritual oppression. Jesus will deliver us from spiritual oppression. Listen to verse four. Isaiah writes, For you have shattered their oppressive yoke, and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. Now again, you have to read this and imagine this promise against the backdrop of foreign oppression. God says to them, you're not always going to live under the crushing weight of Assyria. The Messiah will deliver you. Now thankfully, you and I don't sit here as slaves to a foreign oppressor, but make no mistake, all of us are an oppressed people. Every one of us right now is trying to bear up under the weight of what historically have been written of as our three great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so whether we are directly aware of it or not, we all feel the weight of external oppression of living in a broken world and being opposed by a very real spiritual enemy. We also have internal opposition from our own flesh that is contrary to what God designed us for and how he designed us to function. And so you might feel even now the fatigue of fighting the same sin for years. So regardless of the face that opposes us, even though it might differ, we are all an oppressed people. And because of this, it's critical that we hear and that we receive this good news from God today, that God will deliver you and I from everything that oppresses us. And you might be skeptical of that. You might think, man, that might be true for you. That's not true for me. You don't understand how sizable my oppressor is. And what I think is awesome is that God anticipates that pushback from us. And he points to his past deliverance as proof of his future power. And this is why Isaiah references God's deliverance of Israel to Midian in Judges chapter 6 and 7. If you're not familiar with that story, I'd encourage you to read it later. But here's the cliff notes of it. God used this very cowardly man named Gideon and 300 largely untrained soldiers to defeat an army of Midianites that was so large that Judges 6 says they couldn't even be counted. And so Isaiah's point is, if God could do that then, then he can do it again. And that is exactly what he promises. God can and will deliver us from everything that oppresses us. So Jesus invites us to experience joy because he will deliver us from spiritual oppression. Now here's a second reason. Number two is that Jesus will bring peace to this war-torn world. Jesus will bring peace to this war-torn world. Look with me at verse five. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now that's pretty, if you really sit with that, it's pretty powerful imagery. And it sounds poetic to us, but there was nothing poetic about it to the people of God when they first read this. This is what they were experiencing. This was a scene that they were very familiar with. They knew the sound of marching soldiers and the sight of enemy uniforms in their midst. And this, I, th I think, 
is so lost on us as Americans because by and large, we have not experienced this on our own soil. The closest that we have probably been was in during 9-11 to, a, to this kind of attack on our own soil. But just imagine this. The boots that Isaiah references were actually just sandals with very hard soles that were held on by leather laces that wrapped up the leg of a soldier. And so just imagine hearing the sound of thousands of foreign enemy soldiers marching into your neighborhood. Think about how horrifying that would have been. And so this was very fresh for them. And it's very fresh for many people in our world with at least two significant wars going on in our own world. This is something that many are still experiencing today. And God speaks into that saying, I am going to put a stop to this suffering. So a day is coming when God will bring peace and he will pacify all violence in our world. No more war, no more domestic violence, no more physical, emotional, verbal, or sexual abuse, no more gun violence, no being worried about sending your kids to school and whether or not they're going to come home, no more shootings in grocery stores or movie theaters or workplaces, no more bullies. Jesus will come and peace will come with him. And so he invites us to experience joy today because he will bring peace to this war-torn world. Now here's the final reason that he gives us through Isaiah today. Number three is that Jesus will rule with justice and righteousness forever. Jesus will rule with justice and righteousness forever. Listen to verse six. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So now we are at the heart of what we celebrate during this Christmas season. The promise of the perfect and peaceful rule of God would be set in motion not by a president, not by the rise of some other military force or visionary leader. The peaceful rule of God and the restoration of all things would be realized through the surprising birth of a baby boy. And that boy would grow up, live a sinless life, die a sacrificial death and rise back up, conquering sin and all its effects, inaugurating the restoration of and his rule over all things. And so here's the reason that we're invited to experience joy even now. It's simply put, it's this. Jesus will restore everything sin has wrecked. Jesus will restore everything sin has wrecked. This is the promise that God made to his people. But just imagine receiving that promise of this gift and then having to anticipate its arrival for 400 years. That's how long they waited between when this promise was made and when Jesus was actually born. I don't like to wait for minutes, much less generations, 
And this anticipation is part of what makes the announcement that we're going to look at next week so significant. They had waited for so long. And the truth is, you and I still live with the anticipation of this full gift. Because the birth of Jesus inaugurated this gift of restoration, but during the Christmas season, we actually anticipate its consummation. Jesus still promises that one day he will restore all things. He will deliver us from spiritual oppression. He will bring peace to this war-torn world, and he will rule with justice and righteousness. And so just like Israel, all of those years ago, we are faced with a choice. And that choice is, will we trust him and choose to find our joy in his presence even now? And so as we transition into a time of reflection before communion, what I would encourage you to sit with and to talk to the Spirit of God about in these few moments is how he might be inviting you this week to position yourself in his presence. What will it look like for you to sit with him in his presence this week? Because that's where this joy can be experienced now, is as we become more mindful of his presence with us even now, that he isn't just off somewhere in the heavens and one day he will return, but through his spirit, he is with us now. And we can experience his joy now, regardless of what it is that we're facing, regardless of what it is that we're going through. That can be our anchor in this time. That can be where we experience light in the midst of a very dark season. So will we choose to trust him and find our joy in his presence with us even now? Let's pray and ask him to help us do just that. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have not abandoned us in a broken world. That not only are you with us in the midst of this, but you have put your plan in motion to restore all things. And so, Jesus, we thank you for your humble and joyful willingness to step in to human history to add humanity to your divinity, to live a sinless, perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, and to rise again. Lord, you have already put the first fruits of this promise in play. And there are aspects of what you have promised that we can already enjoy and already experience. But Lord, oftentimes we are so distracted by everything else that's going on around us, particularly at this time of year, that we miss that. We forfeit the opportunity to sit with you in your presence and to experience the joy of being yours. And so, Lord, as we spend just a couple of minutes here quietly listening to you, would you speak? Holy Spirit, how would you have us position ourselves in your presence this week. How do you want us to pray? Where do you want us to spend time listening to you in your word? Lord, we pray that this season would be one, not of stress, not of 
overwhelming anxiety, not of running from one obligation to the next, but that we would move intentionally, that we would move peacefully through this season, determined to experience the joy of your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to